morning, good morning, good morning. Can you hear me? Hello. Hello. Hi, Linda. Hello, everybody. Good day, Matt. Getting some really lovely good days. Feeling very blessed. So, little ones, if you're under sort of six, we release you up the stairs. <laughs> we bless you. If you're older than that, um, please grab colouring in stuff, guys and girls. See Cam. And we, as the adults, will all have lots of grace and kindness towards the young people who will be very bored after not so long with me talking forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, how is everybody? Are we good? Does everyone know what day of the week it is? Don't you love Christmas week where it's just like, I have no idea what day it is. I was at church on Tuesday and Sunday and it feels, every day feels like Saturday and it's just so confusing. But here we are, we're getting back into the, into the flow. He's looking at me strangely. Radio, thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Just, let's just calm our hearts and minds down for a second, just tune in to the Father. Oh, Lord, you are so good. Father, we just thank you for another glorious opportunity to, to come together as your people and to worship you and to seek your face. And so we just position our hearts, our bodies, our minds to just receive from you now what it is that you would have us hear and learn and be encouraged in, be challenged in. Father, we just say we are yours. We are just a target. We have a target on our back and we welcome you to get us, to come and get us with your love, with your revelation. This morning, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, give me the right words as well. I'm finding that really, it's kind of shining in my eyes. I'll just move that a little, sorry. Okay. So here we are, the last day of the year, or nearly, last, last Sunday of the year. Um, and I have a bit of an interesting topic because it's not the most woo topic. Um, and in some ways I feel like it's prophetic to bring it on the last day of the year because sometimes there is, um, let me tell you what the topic is, that might help. <laughs> We're going to talk today about a really under-discussed topic um, in the church, um, grief and mourning. You'd be like, oh, that's heavy. I was just getting excited about the new year. Um, this is a topic that we need to discuss from time to time because we are people, you know, and we are kingdom people, and so we're so into the supernatural, we're so into life, we're so into joy and healing and all of those things, um, and unashamedly we're into those things. But grief and loss and death are part of life. Um, and we need to, from time to time, discuss that and discuss it from a biblical framework um, and unpack some of that. So that's what we're going to do. Okay? Are we good? Yes. We're good. Um, so just really what's, I guess on some levels, has, has sparked my heart to share on this is a, a grief and a loss that our family has gone through. Um, just the last few weeks. So I um, have recently miscarried our, our baby. Um, and so we had 
God, God spoke to us before we conceived about her name. So she was a girl. Her name, well, she is a girl. <laughs> her name is Faith Vanessa Lorraine. Um, and the Lord released her name before we conceived. And I hope you don't mind the detail, but as we, when we conceived, um, the Lord said to Dan, you've conceived a child. Yeah. And we knew instantly that this would be faith. And, and so faith came into our lives, um, but she died. She passed away. And so I miscarried her a few weeks ago. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I've been, been on a journey been through the valley of the shadow of death and I have a lot of revelation and a lot of um, really experience I guess on some levels that I can share with you um, this morning and I'm hoping to be able to impart something for you for when we all encounter a loss in our life. Um, So this was, let's see if I can press the buttons, this was Faith so I carried her for 10 weeks and we were due to announce her her arrival, well, her, uh, my pregnancy on the gala, we were going to announce, um, but we lost her before that. So I was blessed and honoured to be able to deliver her, so she's actually in that little parcel. Um, and we, that was a real privilege for me to be able to actually hold her um, and really mourn with her and hold her during, during that time. And... Um, to be able to release her to the Lord and release her back into the ground. So we, we buried her at our home and we planted this little pink plant um, in her honour. Now I've lost my other picture. That's not working. Um, yes, so we have been through a journey as a family these last few weeks. Um, oh, me and Buttons. Someone on the back, do you know how to make it go just to the normal regular screen? Because I can't figure that out. We've done that? Awesome. That's really maxed out my skills. (laughs) Alrighty. um, So let's just jump in. Okay. So there we go. as I was, well, my experience, but as I was pondering this whole notion of, of grief and how do we grieve as Christians and what does it look like to, to be healed and to go through a kind of a, a, a mourning period, um, it's a bit of a funny picture, but this is what the Lord released to me. He showed me a picture of um, an athletics track. Have you ever been to an athletics stadium or seen it on the TV? Um, and a hurdle, a hurdle track. So there's all the various hurdles set out and so on. And I saw that the Lord was, was wanting to share that a grief journey, a lost journey, is, is in some ways like a, a hurdle track. Now, there's no race. There's no competitors. You're not trying to beat anyone. But there are stages. So there's steps. There's highs and lows. Um, there's a beginning point and there's an end point. Look, that end point may not be until we get to heaven, you know, but there is, there's healing along the way. Um, and he was speaking to me about that and he was saying that, I don't know if there's any people that, that exercise or that run, but um, if you run on an athletics track compared to, say, on the road or, I know Anthony Ingram, who's not here today, is a trail runner, so he's running, you know, rocks and hills and 
and stuff. There is something about the, the track, an athletics track, that has been designed to bring the best out of the athlete, to make the journey the quickest, the easiest, and the most comfortable. So compared to running, I used to do a lot of running, running on the road, it's hard on your body. So every time you're you know, on the cement, it's like, oh. Then you go on an athletics track, and it's spongy. Have you ever been on it? And Jack's an athlete. That beautiful spongy rubber is, is designed to cushion you so that you're, as you're jumping over hurdles or whatever you're doing, there's less trauma on your body. There's, there's less long-term trauma. And so I feel like the Lord is saying to us that his, um, his track, his running track, there's some foundations that undergird the healing journey regarding grief and loss that are, um, are him, are attributes of God's nature and his heart and his character that make a grief process so much easier, quicker, less um, long-term negative impact. Does that make sense? Um, and so, so before we kind of talk about some of the stages and some of the how-tos of, of walking this journey of grief and loss when it comes to us, because it will come to us, um, I want to talk about some of the foundational things, sort of like the, the thing that undergirds our whole journey of when we have a loss. These three in particular, there's probably a lot more, but there's three in particular that I want to bring out, um, really of God's nature, that, that enable all of this to go as it should go. Um, all right. So let's just dive in. This first one, and a lot of this is, like I said, it's been rubber hits the road. There's been a lot of journeying with God through, through our recent loss. Um, he has revealed, well, not just to me, it's not just me, it's in the word. He is in charge, but he's not in control. Now, some of us that have grown up in evangelical circles might be right now freaking out. What do you mean God's not in control? Now, obviously, this is a really big topic, and it could, we could write a book on this topic, and we're not going to take the time to unpack kind of great, great, great depths of God's sovereignty. But just to say that God has placed within each of us our own will. Is that right? Um, we see as early as Genesis chapter 3, God is in charge, but he's not in control. He sets the parameters. He gives his. He communicates his best. If you stick within these parameters, and everything's going to be heaps better. But you're a free will. You have, you have a free will. You go ahead, and you do what you need to do. Well, Genesis three, straight away. What God is not in control because Adam and Eve, you know, ate off the tree and sin entered the world, and everything changed. You catching? All through Scripture, just you know. We could start at the start and mention about 25 million examples, and we're not going to take the time to do that. You know, Cain was free to murder his brother. Why? Because God is in charge, but he's not in control. And so we talk about our, our police system or our justice system. So our justice system and our government and so on are in control. Sorry, are in charge. They're not in control. Okay? So I'm free to go out and shoot someone because they're not controlling me. But the, but the system that's in place in our, in our nation is in charge. So I'll be brought to account. There will be consequences for my actions. There will be a judgment moment that's, you know, everything's set right in terms of in the future with, with the Father. And so it's important when we're dealing with a grief and a loss to understand, to understand this. Because if we believe that God's in control, then we believe that he's taken this person from us. 
that he has murdered this person or whatever, you know, however we are in our hearts regarding how we view him having taken someone from us. But if we believe that he's in control, we will, we will distance ourselves from someone like that, won't we? We will pull away from someone that we believe has, has robbed a life from a loved one from us. But if we understand that he's in charge in terms of there will be justice come, there will be righteousness come, there will be a setting right come into our lives, it changes how we begin this journey of grief. Um, and what I, lo- what I love about, I hope this is rattling some mindsets if there are any mindsets out there, because who's been around church settings where you know, something's happened, a terrible loss, you know, a young child has died or something, and you've heard it said from the pastor or you know, just within the general vibe, that was God's idea, that was God's plan A, he doesn't have another plan, that was his plan. How do you cope with that as, as a parent or as a, a loved one? You think, what kind of God do I serve? Who is this monster, right? But if we understand that there's sin and death just at work in the world that was released when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, for the time being, Satan's described as the, the prince of the power of the air, right? There, he's a, there's a measure of authority that he has on the earth. And sadly, that, that comes into play. Um, and, but we need to, to know in our own hearts that it's not God's design for people to be taken from us early. Um, and what I love about this, talking about God being in control, not being in control, but being in charge, is you think, wow, um, when Jesus came and he died and he rose again and he's Pentecost and he sent his spirit, um, he filled us with his spirit. What's one of the fruits of the spirit? Self-control. And so you think, and lots of other things as well, <laughs> but you think, um, if we are so full of God, shouldn't we that, wouldn't that then mean that he's kind of controlling us and we're just, just doing everything his way and um, we're just so being led by him, but then we'll be robots, yes? But no, he says, no, I'll send my son, he will die, he'll rise, I'll send my spirit to live in you so that you can have self-control. So the control, it's profound that the God of heaven, that the uh, almighty God that's created everything would give us that amount of power and authority on the earth. It's insane. But that's the way he's designed because it's, his heart is for freedom. And so it's why, you know, someone can run over our child or, you know, something awful can happen because God is not controlling us all like little puppets, but he is enabling us each to control ourselves and to make choices in line with his heart. And so we have his spirit, and his spirit is constantly whispering to us, hey, don't do that one. Let's do this one. And we have an opportunity to align our will with his will. And in that sense, he's leading us, but he's not controlling us. Control is you don't get a choice. You're a robot, you're being dictated to. But to to come into relationship with him and to be led by his spirit is the ultimate. Um... And Jesus, you know, and I'm sure we've all been around long enough now to know becoming a Christian isn't the magic bullet for never having any problems or never experiencing pain. Because Jesus was very blunt, as he often is, which I love, because I'm very blunt. <laughs> he says, in this world, you will have trouble, full stop. You just will. Right? It's not maybe, perhaps, possibly. You will have trouble. But we can take heart because he's overcome this world. 
Um, so there is, there is a higher, deeper realm of his presence and his peace available while there's trouble, while there's loss, while there's grief, while there's pain. And it's why Jesus could sleep in the midst of a storm. So he's demonstrating just in that prophetic way of like, oh, there's trials, there's trouble, there's, I'm in a storm, I'm, you know, things are crazy. But he's able to sleep because he's tapping into that higher realm. And so when it comes to this topic of grief and loss, we will have trouble, we will have loss, we will have pain, but we get to access a higher realm of presence and peace. I'm certainly tapped into that. Um, and the other thing to understand just on this, this foundational piece around God is in charge but he's not in control is, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, if God was in control in terms of just like moving everyone around like pawns, prayer would be a complete waste of time. What would be the point of coming to the Lord and pouring out our heart and, you know, decreeing the things that we believe he wants us to decree? And that would be just a complete waste of time because he's just set things in motion. He's just set and forget. The world just goes and just happens and we just don't get a say in it. No. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. I love um, the story of when Daniel was, was praying and, you know, there was... And then the angel, I think it was Gabriel, someone will know, Gabriel appeared to him and was like, I was released the moment you started praying to, to begin to, to do the things that God wanted to do and begin to do the things that Daniel was praying in line with the Father's heart. And so we have to understand our prayers are powerful, our prayers avail much, and our prayers actually release angelic assistance into situations. We must be praying. And this is why I'm coming at this mindset of like, oh, just God's in control, it will all just happen, what it will be, will be. No. Why does he say the righteous, the prayer of the righteous will avail much, will achieve much, if it's not true? It is true. Um, and so we get to partner with God, and that's what I love about prayer is it's tapping into his heart. It's not just me and my shopping list praying what I want. It's I listen to his spirit. What are you praying? What's on your heart? And I partner with that and decree that, and it releases an, an angelic activity to empower and enable those things to happen. Yes, there's some resistance to that, but we get to do that, which is the best. Um, and so if we, if we think that God is in control and enabling these, these deaths or causing these deaths and losses in our lives, um, we will become so bitter. And we see that lots of times through the Old Testament. They had a worldview that essentially that God was in control. And so therefore anything that negative happened, they pointed straight to God and be like, oh, what is wrong with you? You're so awful. Classic example, Naomi. You know, the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Um, so she had lost two sons had died, her husband had died, and I'll quote her, and she says, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Whoa. She is so identifying with bitterness that she wants to be called her name to be changed to being bitter. She's in so much pain. And who is she blaming? She's blaming God. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament. And I want to just, because I've got the microphone, I get to say, get to say this. When we're reading scripture, we need to be careful. Like you'd be like, oh, that's the word of, that's God's word. That's in the Bible. That must be true. The Lord has made my life very bitter. The Lord has afflicted me. He's brought misfortune upon me. I'm going to, that's the word of the Lord. I'm just going to receive that. No. Oftentimes through scripture, 
It's just someone is being quoted. Okay, this is a direct quote of what Naomi said. It's not, thus saith the Lord of, um, this is what's true. It's just, they recorded what she said and how she was feeling. And it's held in the context of a wider story which reveals the word of the Lord, which is obviously around Boaz and redemption and all of those wonderful things. So we need to be careful as we're reading scripture that we don't just grab something and apply it if it doesn't line up with the overall view of scripture, Father being good and kind and all of that. Um, So we can see from Naomi's story that believing that God is in control and therefore bringing these kinds of losses into her life just brings this incredible amount of toxicity and poison to her own life but also to those around her. Can you imagine (laughs) being around? We've we've come across people like this. Um, It causes people to run from God rather than run to him. And I've got a scripture in a minute which will bring it up. Um, So that was one foundational piece, okay? It took longer than I hoped, so we'll try and be fast. Second foundational piece as we go through a grief process is to understand that we are designed to die in old age. We will all die, okay? That's going to happen, we know that. Um, But uh, what's that scripture in? I think it's Ephesians where they're quoting Deuteronomy probably. You know, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may live long on the earth. So the Lord's blessing and the Lord's heart is always that we live long on the earth, that we have a long life. And so it's why we can understand when someone dies young that this is not part of the Lord's plan and purpose and design. Um, John 10.10, we all know well, the the thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Full being long, full whole. And so when someone dies young, we can see what's, what's at play. There's two realms going on. There's the stealing, killing, destroying realm. And so it's, it, we need to be careful when we're, when we're dealing with a grief to understand who are we going to blame? If we want to blame someone, who are we going to blame? If it looks like killing, stealing, destroying, robbing, especially early, we can be sure it's not from Jesus' heart because he's come that we would have full life and long life. Um, John twelve twenty four, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's Jesus. Now obviously his, whole, his journey was very unique, very different to the rest of our journeys. So part of his journey was to die young, and that was distinct from our story. But the, the concept remains to be true. So I was, my dad is actually a farmer, and I don't know that he grows wheat anymore, but we've been around wheat, um, and so I know a little bit about wheat, to where if you try and this whole process of the kernel falling to the ground and producing seeds... That can't happen prematurely. I mean, you can, you can try and cut a wheat head off and put it on the ground and nothing will happen because it hasn't been through the, you know, it's the heat of summer that causes it to ripen. And so there's a ripening that takes time. It just takes time. You can't cut it short. And so um, I guess what I'm saying is that we expect to die, but we should expect to die in our old age when we've had time to mature, when we've been through kind of all the heat of life and, and journeying with God and when we've begun, well, we've really 
been able to release a lot of the seed, a lot of the fruit from our life back into the world, back into our children, grandchildren, you know, those in our lives, um, those around us, that's the appropriate time to die. At the end of our life, you know, at the end of a long life, you know, when we've had a good innings, um, and we should expect to be already seeing, you know, as we're going on in, a, in time and ageing, our seeds beginning to fall, the fruit beginning to come. So that's why I'm saying it's God's design that we have a long life. So if we're dying when we're 12, no, we can all sense the injustice of that. There's, there hasn't been a ripening, there hasn't been coming to the end of the life, there hasn't been a releasing of the seeds, the legacy that God would want to release through that life. Okay, we've got to keep moving. The other, well, the other point, the foundational point really, which I keep talking about, because I, <laughs> I would really love us as a fellowship to be able to just completely put to bed the whole notion that God is anything other than good all of the time. Um, because if we do not have this foundational piece in our life, it's really difficult to kind of go anywhere really positively and gain any ground and bear fruit because we will constantly be this foundation piece will just be crumbling beneath us and we will be crumbling on top of it if you understand what I'm saying um, he is just always good he's just always kind and so when these things happen um, is like with, Mara, with Naomi Mara, Mara and she's blaming God right she's finger pointing she's like oh I'm looking for someone to blame and I said we're going to blame the devil, we're not going to blame God because it wouldn't fit with his nature. It wouldn't fit with a good, kind, loving father to, to cause these kinds of losses. Um, Psalm 23 is, was already sort of my, one of my life passages, but even more so because I've seen through it really a grief process, and we're going to unpack some of that in a minute. Um, but we know, the, and we had it in the song this morning surely his goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life it's actually true his goodness and his kindness are the things that are just bedrocks of our life just foundations of who we are in our relationship with him that just cannot we cannot allow that to be questioned and shaken because we will have trouble moving on with God if we don't understand that he's always good and kind um, there's a, a psalm, Psalm 131, if you've got your Bibles, I don't even know if you can see in the dark, but I'm sorry, I haven't got it up today. Um, it's really what I'm, for me, I'm calling it grieving on the Father's lap, is the name of this psalm in my heart. So verse 1, it says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters. Or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And so we see, and that's it, that's the whole psalm. And so it's this picture of a child, and what I love about it is it's a weaned child. So it's a child that no longer is coming to the mother just for milk, you know, like, and all that's, you know, a child that's, that's so young that it doesn't have a choice where it's sitting. It's forced to sit on mum's knee. Now, we're talking about a wean child, so an older child who no longer needs mum's milk, 
um, and no longer you know, is able to walk and take itself off and around, um, a weaned child chooses then to come and sit on the father's knee and to receive comfort from the mother or the father. And the first part of that psalm where it says, I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So it's coming back to that childlike space of like, I don't actually have to understand everything about what's going on right now. I'm just going to sit on your knee, Dad, and just receive your comfort. Receive your nurture. And I'm just going to trust in your goodness and your kindness to me every day that this, you have all of this in hand and I position my life in, in peace and in trust of you and to receive actual comfort from sitting on your knee. Um, so this why question, you know, like this why question that often comes up when something happens, why? A lot of that will come undone when we've got those foundational pieces in place because essentially asking the why question reveals, I don't, I think this is your fault, God, why did you let this happen? You know, uh, what's wrong with you? Why are you so mean? You know, all of those things. So when we've got those three foundational pieces in place, we really need to ask the why question. If we, if we really want to ask it, let's just go straight to the answer, which is why, because God created me in his image. Satan hates God, therefore he hates me, therefore he's out to kill, steal and destroy from me. That's why. It's not the answer I wanted to hear. It's not a great, great thing, but that's the answer. And so, okay, so ask the why question. That's why. So now I can come back to sitting on your lap, Father. Just be like, some of that stuff's big, it's confusing, I don't know, but I just trust you. Um, and I want to receive comfort from you. Okay, don't. Oh, and Graham, Graham Cook, if you know Graham Cook, has, has this thing which I've heard him say. He says, basically, don't, don't ask why. Because, again, like I said, there's no, <laughs> there's no point. Um, but instead, when you might be tempted to ask why, ask to the Lord, who do you want to be for me? in this circumstance that you haven't been able to be in, in my past until I've encountered this situation that I'm in today. That's been a really helpful question for me as I, and I heard this before, our journey with faith, um, asking the Lord, who do you want to be th- to me through this? And he was, kept saying, I want to be comfort and I want to release faith. Like actual faith, not the name of our baby. Um, and so that's a helpful question when we're going through something of this nature. Alrighty, so that's, that's the foundational pieces. Now the steps along the way, so the hurdles on the track, it's literally is, it literally is a journey. And um, we'll jump into Psalm 23 in a jiffy. But um, I wanted to show you, I don't know if you can see in the light, my new skirt. You're like, wow, that's really nice. But what has that got to do with anything? Um, the, uh, you know, sometimes ladies sit with the Lord and they ask things like, what am I going to wear on Christmas Day? <laughs> And he showed me a picture of this skirt. And he revealed to me that I was going to go and make it. Now, I'm not a sewer. <laughs> I don't think I've sewed in about 10 years. And even before then, it was terrible sewing. Um, I never had the patience for it because I just, like, let's just get it done and get going. So that's why I'm like, it's way easier to go to the shop. And you don't have to fight with the threads and all of that. Um, but no, he was asking me to make this skirt. And, it was, and I knew it was going to be part of the healing journey, part of the story of, of walking through my grief and my loss 
um, and to, there's something powerful about it. Okay, so here I was on this journey, and this was three, three or four days before Christmas. Rush down to Spotlight, get the pattern, you know, get the material, the materials there that I'd seen in the vision, um, and begin making the skirt. And it was, it literally was a journey, and that's what he was talking to me about this, this whole grief process is, is a journey, it's a step-by-step thing. So if you've ever done any dressmaking or whatever, there's a pattern that comes with um, the steps. And that's great if you understand what on earth they are talking about, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> and they have pictures and they have writing, but I'm like, don't know what you mean. Um, and praise God, there's Google. But even Google fails you. And then there's the Holy Spirit. And so he was like, this is what it looks like to journey with me through, in this case, grief and loss, but really any, any life situation. So it, it looks like staying in peace in the moment, not freaking out, not freaking about, about step 20. That looks really confusing. I'm on step one. I'm on step one. There's a picture. I've got a little bit of an idea maybe of what that's trying to ask me to do. Um, and for everything else, I'm asking him. I'm like, okay, so where, do, where would I? And he's literally guiding me through the whole journey of making the skirt. Um, and it, it became this prophetic exercise of what does it look like to journey with God through a difficult thing. And it's, it was profound, the measure of peace that I experienced mostly. My girls would tell you there was a couple moments. Um, but mostly I was able to just be like, Father, thank you. Like, I trust you. You're going to show me. And the revelation would come. And it was so silly, you know, it's about sewing. But this is what it's like to walk with him. And... And that's really, really my encouragement at the end of the day, is to walk through something of this nature is horrendous, like it's awful, it's horrible. But don't worry about step 20, worry about step one. How do I stay in peace and trust Father? I just rest in your goodness, I rest in your kindness. I rest in the fact that you're constantly good, that you are constantly releasing solutions and strategies and peace. Um, and I'll tackle step one, and then when we get to step two, you'll be there for that as well. It's about his presence, and that's why we're saying... He's surrounding us constantly um, as we're going through difficult things. All right, so important, some important things about grief quickly. We need to accept that grief is normal, not just normal, appropriate. It's the right response to having lost someone that we love or something that we love. Along that line, crying is very normal and appropriate, men. When we have an awful part of our culture that says men shouldn't cry, it's outrageous. And what do we see? Men who blow their lives up because they haven't been able to access their hearts and deal with the stuff that they have felt. God gave us tears to express our grief. If we try to hold in our tears and ignore our pain, there really will be problems later. Some, it will manifest in some other way. God gave us tears to shed in our grief as an outpouring of our inner pain. We have Jesus. Jesus wept. I'm, st- I'm stunned by this story and, um, you know, when Lazarus died, his friend, and he cried. Now, some people were like, oh, he cried even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Well, potentially he didn't yet know because he's living every minute with the father. So perhaps in that moment he's thinking Lazarus has died and he's weeping. It doesn't matter. Even if he did know, it doesn't matter. He's crying the loss of his friend and that's the appropriate right response to the loss of a loved one. Um, what I love, I love Romans 8.26. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we might have crying, we might have weeping, we might have groaning. We're like, oh, I don't have words to describe how I'm feeling right now. Um, but there's sounds that are being released from me that are actually part of my communication with God around my pain, and I'm receiving and I'm giving, sharing my heart with him and he's receiving. He's blessing me as well with, with his comfort. And so we need to give ourselves permission, and that's one of my other key messages, give ourselves permission to go on this journey, to whatever it looks like, to go on the journey of accessing our pain and expressing our pain. Um, and now, the world is actually pretty awesome at this. Oh God, my doctor put me onto just a website that talks about, you know, just infant loss and loss in pregnancy and that type of thing. And I go on there and I read and I was like, if you want to lay in your pyjamas all day, that's awesome. Great, do it. If you want to go outside for a walk, excellent, do it. And it's just permission, permission, permission. Yes, yes, yes. However you're feeling, allow yourself to feel that thing and it's going to be, probably be part of how you need to process this loss. What do we do as Christians? The complete opposite. We do not give ourselves permission. We say, no, no, no. You shouldn't get angry. What do you mean you're angry? That's ridiculous. No, you don't get angry. No, you don't lose hope. No, you don't despair. No, you don't fear. Because I'm a Christian, and I have God, and I have hope, and it's all going to be great. Yes, that's true. But we we rob ourselves of a proper and appropriate healing process because we do not give ourselves permission to grieve. There you go, saying it. <laughs> um, and so we know from the world, they, in terms of the, the hurdle track, they often get stuck on the last hurdle because they don't have hope, right? They don't have eternal hope. They don't have a hope of this person being with God or eventually seeing this person or, you know, God working positive things through the negatives. They don't have hope, and so they sometimes get stuck there, sadly. And there's a depression that can come on people. Now, we, we have that peace. That is the peace that we have that no one else has. We have all of this hope. But what we need to make sure is that we're doing these steps before. And we want to go, oh, I've started the journey of grief. Terrible, sad thing has happened. I'm going to try and jump straight to the last hurdle of hope and expect that that's going to go well for me. This is true. This is how the church in the past has dealt with this notion of grief. Oh, how awful you've lost someone. Be sad for one day. Maybe be sad at the funeral, which is in a week or you know a few days. Then you've got the hope of the Lord. You'll be fine. Awesome. And we don't allow people to, to express their grief beyond really what we define to be quite a short amount of grief period. Is this true? But if we give ourselves and one another the permission... We will find that this, when we're so afraid of this thing going on forever and this person, they're going to be sad and crying and, and weeping forever and maybe they're going to become stuck and they're going to become depressed. And we're like, come on, you're okay, you've got God. Um, and we try to force one another and force ourselves to quickly be okay. But we sabotage the whole process by doing that. Whereas if we say, do you know what? You are sad. You, you feel sad, you're crying. Yes, you do. You feel sad because you've experienced a deep loss. And we don't try and force people to quickly jump to the last hurdle in the, in the journey, that of hope. They will get there. And if they're strong in the Lord, and there's hope through every step and stage. And it's coming through all of, all of the expressions of grief and anger and you know, fear and all of those things. 
it's still there. You don't need to feel that they've lost their faith if they're crying, <laughs> if they're having a bad day and if they're feeling sad. And I, yeah, it's important to me that we enable one another to take the time that we need to take to grieve the loss of those that we love. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn, to mourn is, is actually a doing word, it's a verb, so it means it's something to actually do. It's not a passive state. Um, and I, I like that about it. And some of the, just the kind of reading and stuff that's around on this topic of grief is that um, one website I looked at, they suggested you might want to take an hour or two um, every day, set aside an hour every day or two to work on grieving being intentional about processing pain, seeking God for insights, hope, comfort. And if, if and when you, you have a loss like this, I deeply encourage you to take time to actually sit with the Lord, to feel, to hear him. And there's a doing, there's a, a, an actual mourning that begins to happen as we allow ourselves time to do that. Um, I love, I love just, I love the Bible. There's so much just wisdom and just insight in there. Now, M- Moses and Aaron, when they died, there was a 30-day mourning period, um, a national, you know, this is, uh, we have a public holiday for a day. They had a 30-day mourning period when both Aaron and Moses died. That's profound. That should speak something to us. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Um, oftentimes it was more of a seven-day mourning period that um, was through scripture. And during that time, there was often a special meal eaten in memory of the person. There was often candles lit, scriptures read. Um, people tore their clothes, yeah? People put dirt and stuff on themselves. Um, there was prayer. Often they didn't cut their hair or they didn't do grooming. Husbands and wives may not come together physically. Um, entertainment stops. Regular study or work might stop. Um, there's often music. So we, we read that through the Gospels where there's mourners, professional mourners have been employed to wail <laughs> and to play flutes. And so there's something about music that is part of the mourning process that, it, that brings comfort. Um, so what I love about the Jews is that they, they observe something which is normal and natural and then they make a law out of it. They go, oh, that's a really nice idea. That's a helpful practice. Let's institute it into the law and force you to do it. That's fine. Let's just ignore that. The, the truth is those things are really helpful. And so people were already doing those things. Okay? Now I can speak from some experience. I have no interest in going somewhere and seeing people and having fun when I'm in this stage. I have no interest in grooming, you know, like worrying about what I'm looking like or wearing or whatever because I'm in that state. I have a lot of interest in just sitting quietly with the Lord, listening to music, praying, um, spending time with my family. We, had a, we did have a meal after Faith's burial together, just honouring her. Um, so all of those things are actually really natural and normal. Um, now, we don't need to make a law out of them but it's, we can learn from this to be intentional with how we grieve and allowing ourselves to do that.
Um, Another step in the process, what, what I'm calling hanging with Holy Spirit, is literally just sitting with him and allowing him to hover around our lives. And I was thinking about, you know, Genesis where it talks about, you know, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. And then with Mary, when we've just looked at, obviously just had Christmas, so Mary, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived and so there's something about just being in that state of allowing the Holy Spirit to be around us and ministering to us that's bringing forth life, that's bringing forth light and life that are in dead and dark places. All right, so Psalm 23, we may not have time to go too deeply now, but um, I'll pick out a few little bits. Um, so we know the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So really practical stuff around actual physical rest, physically laying down, physically looking after our bodies. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Um, So our souls need refreshment. Our bodies need refreshment. When we're going through a a difficult time of loss, we just need to make sure we've got practical things, good food coming and good rest and just stopping, like just going time out. I'm not going to all of the things that I had on my diary this week and and I'm not going to be at this party and this social event because that would be ridiculous. It would be really difficult for me. I'd have to really fake it and what am I doing? I'm suppressing my pain and I'm pushing it down and it's going to take longer and and more work to come out. Um, He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He brings, and as we're sitting and as we're hanging with Holy Spirit and he's hovering, he's just bringing actually so much revelation about the whole situation. That's when I sat with the Lord about faith and writing with him. Writing might be something that you like to do. Journaling, it's like, if we don't actually allow ourselves the time to stop and sit, we can rob ourselves of understanding around some of the ins and outs of what's going on and why. um, He just spoke to me quite deeply about all of the stuff that it was about. Now this one. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now, some translations say the, shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. You've heard that? Um, and it, it is a valley. And as like I said before, like Christians, we want to just be like, no, I've just sprinted through the valley and I've held my breath and I've closed my eyes and I just want to get out the other side of the valley. No, uh, to walk, it's a walk through the valley. <laughs> it's a walk. It's not a sprint, it's not a run. But equally, we're not just parking and camping and building a house in the valley. We are moving through the valley um, of the shadow of death. And the Lord showed me it's, it's harder for us as Christians. We would rather be the person that's died. <laughs> We'd be like, woohoo, cool. I don't, you know, often we don't fear death very much because we have so much hope and, and all of that. But it's harder for us to lose someone. And then, so it's the shadow of someone else's death that, we, that it creates the pain and the difficulty and that we have to walk through. Um, this was a key, key passage. I will fear no evil, verse 4, for you are with me. And I don't know if you've been in those low places of, of having lost someone in those initial stages. There was moments, certainly for me, where I was like, I am losing my mind. Like, I am going mad. Like, there's so much, you know, demonic stuff that's coming at our minds in these moments. 
that we might fear, you know, literally losing our marbles. We might fear losing our faith. We might fear never having hope again, never feeling happy again, never feeling joy again, never wanting to love or, you know, take risks with love again. Um, and I love this passage because it says we don't have to fear that. Okay, there is, there is a lot of evil coming at us when we're walking through the valley, I can tell you. But we don't need to fear it gaining control, gaining access or gaining stronghold in our life. Um, and then as we come out the other side, as we journey through this process, there's then, as we move into the verses 5 and 6, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So what's that? That's that victory where the enemy has come in verse 4 um, and he's literally just trying to undo us, trying to have us desert our faith, you know, point the finger at God, just, you know, all of this, he's coming hardcore at our minds through these types of experiences. But verse 5 is we've come through, we've stayed, we've run to the Father's lap, we've hovered in Holy Spirit, we've received revelation and understanding and comfort and we've actually crossed that finish line, as it were, the bulk of the, bulk of the journey. Um, and we are sitting in the presence of our enemies, dining on the victories of Jesus. Yes? He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Let me just find that. Um, and I, I believe some of the, the revelation there around our heads being anointed with oil. So whenever we see that in scripture, it's talking about commissioning and empowering of God to go and do some special assignment. Is that right? Um, and so when we've walked through a grief and a loss and we've, we've come through and we're dining with the Lord in this victory place, we are now, we now have more authority and more victory and more understanding and more power by the Holy Spirit to minister into that, that kind of area, into our future, um, that we did not have before this experience. So we have like fresh opportunities to minister the kingdom to people. And the overflowing cup obviously is talking about provision. So you're like, oh, I've got this fresh anointing and, and fresh commissioning as it were, but man, I'm a little bit scared about how I'm gonna make all that happen. Now the cup overflows, so that's his provision for that commissioning to go and to minister to those that are going through something like this. And verse 6, just my favourite. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is coming back to that just ridiculous, just constant place of trust, peace and goodness just flowing to me every day. And when, when you've walked through something, and I, it reminds me of a woman when she gives birth, if you've ever given birth, when you've done that, you're like, I can do anything in the whole world if I just did that. And there's this great amount of boldness and empowering that you have. And so it's like this when we come through something of a grief and a loss and we didn't abandon our faith and we stayed in love and you know, the Lord ministered healing and comfort to us, we suddenly just are so bold and we are feeling just so powerful in him. So prophetic decrees embolden us. We've been emboldened by the journey to, to begin to decree, I've seen God be good in this situation now. I can add that to my testimony list. God was good to me when he you know, gave me the car park or you know, whatever, like a hundred other things. But now he's been good to me when I lost my loved one. 
and I have such a powerful testimony that makes me feel so bold in my faith and so just so confident of his goodness and presence. And just like, I, I can do anything now. Like if I've done that thing, which was really horrible, I feel like with God, you know, there's nothing stopping me as, as I cling to him and, and hold to him. A couple of real practical things. If people are offering to help you, take up them up on their offers. <laughs> like, don't we, don't we just this whole stupid thing around our culture? It's like, oh, no, 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 darling, I'm fine. I've got God. Yes, you've got God, um, but maybe he's trying to bring you a meal through, Joe, <laughs> so that you can lay in bed and hang out with him. Um, let's just give ourselves permission again just to say, yes, thank, thank you, that'd be awesome. Um, and ask for what, what we need. So in my journey, it was like I knew Holy Spirit. My sister texted me and she says, you know, what do you need? And I knew I needed to go for a walk with her to talk about faith. And we walked and it was, you know, and she just made herself so available and I want to honour Becky. Thank you. Um, and literally just talking through everything with her just brought so much, like quite rapid healing in that moment. Um, and I noticed it the next time, I'm like, oh, I'm actually kind of feeling okay compared to yesterday. And so um, if people are offering and you're like, oh, I would really love a feeling like this would be helpful, ask. And if they're not offering, just ask them anyway. <laughs> um, because, and you know, you're not going to ask the whole world, but those that in your, in your life that you're like, ah, oh, I would really, this would be really important to me, this would really help me. Um, and just do the, th- and like coming back to that thing around just giving ourselves permission. Do the things that you feel that you want to do. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about silly stuff, sin stuff. I'm just talking about if it's helpful for you. Like, it was helpful for me. I wanted to have burial. I wanted to have the plant. I wanted to have us to be able to pray and bless. Um, I wanted us to have a meal together as a family, which we did. I wanted to buy a cross. So I've got a cross that I've worn that's for faith. Um, so just those things that you feel that you need to do. Don't be like, oh, that's silly. You know, I've got God. I'm fine. Yes, he's, he's leading us, and we're all so unique that he, we can give ourselves permission to go with those things. My very last point, are you ready? Um, my father-in-law, he's, <laughs> it's been a journey with my father-in-law, but he's, as he's growing older, he's softening, and it's a really beautiful thing, and he's got this really soft spot for me, and it's really lovely. Um, and so he wrote me this letter when he heard about faith and, and part of what he put in there was just like, that's, I'm going to grab that because I feel like it's, it's another piece of the puzzle, it's another part of the journey of understanding what's going on um, and hearing from God. And so I can't take credit for this, but my father-in-law can. Second Samuel verse 12 um, and, and 24 in a minute is when the story of when um, David does the wrong thing, right? But with Bathsheba, they have the baby, and God's not heaps happy about that idea. The baby dies, all right? And so then, you know, the story and David's, David's upset and all of that rightly. And then verse 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And you remember the story of Solomon. He then, you know, grows up and becomes king. He's the most wise man ever, he's the richest man ever, um, and he carries 
His, the, the name Solomon actually is a derivative of the word shalom, meaning peace and wholeness. Um, and it refers to the yeah, that wholeness, completeness. And so um, what I was seeing, what my father-in-law was sharing, was that out of this terrible loss came just this incredible blessing, not just to David but to many others through the son Solomon. And so I really grabbed that because I really felt like the Lord was speaking that to me. It's like there's this awful loss, this awful pain, but God is so going to add blessing to my life through you know, following on from this experience. And so I, I love that picture. And it's, you know, it's a the picture of David and Bathsheba. So she, you know, if David is a type of Jesus, Bathsheba, then his wife is a picture of us as the church. If we can receive that comfort, if we can allow ourselves to be comforted, something will, call, something will, will flow from that union. And it will be a really positive, peaceful thing like David, uh, Solomon's life brought just crazy breakthrough for, for so many. And so it's really an encouragement for us. If we're going through something, let's run into our Father's arms, let's receive his comfort, and let's watch and see what fruit he's going to bring out of that experience. How's that sound? And so just to close, Psalm 126, some of this. It says, verse 5, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Why don't you stand up and we'll just pray together. Father, we just so thank you for your love. We just thank you for the profound depths of your kindness and goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your comfort. And Lord, for those of us going through a period of mourning or grief at the moment, Father, we we draw upon your comfort right now. And we just declare that we trust you for the good thing that you're doing coming out from this experience. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your instruction this morning, for the revelation from your word. And Lord, that I just pray that you would enable the things that are of you just to go deep and to take root in hearts and those that aren't, that they would just be removed now. In Jesus' name, but Father, that we would as a people be prepared, would be equipped um, for all that's, that's ahead of us. And Father, we thank you that it's, it's your plan and purpose for us to have long, rich lives. Yeah. And so Lord, just right now, if we're thinking of, if we, this is triggering us in some way, we're remembering people that we've lost and we're beginning to feel some of that, Father. We, we just want to thank you for their lives. We want to thank you for all that they meant to us and for all of the ways that we were blessed through their input into our life. 
And Father, we just we want to commit them back to you, Lord, and just bless them. And Lord, we just submit ourselves to you for your comfort, for your peace, and for your revelation. And Lord, we thank you that you're not just with us for the first five minutes of a grief process, that you are with us, you never leave us. You, you are with us every second of every day. We give you so much thanks for that. Father, I just speak comfort over each of the hearts here. Peace over each of the hearts here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well done. Well done. Well, I bless you to go well with the next couple of days of 2018 and get ready to launch into 2019. If you would like prayer as usual, please come forward or gather someone to pray for you. Otherwise, I bless you and release you to tea and coffee. And any food, if there's any food. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bless you.